2: Okay, we're back on. uh we just had another network server error that probably took us down for seemed to be about fifteen minutes. uh looked like it was at about four fifteen that it went down, and so what i I had to do is uh restart the whole studio so hopefully I'm coming through and uh they will let me know if I'm being heard or not on the other side. I'm going to run a test audio. If I can hear it, then I know things are back up.
0: How about you, yeah. right. yeah.
2: Heard that loud and clear, so I know I'm back up. But again, uh, they have not fixed the issue that occurred at the end of last week's show um, that we're knocking callers off. And uh, they let me know that uh, there was a possibility that it would continue this week. So um, this time around, I experienced it on the front end. So we'll see how long we can go before um, we get knocked off again. Hopefully it doesn't happen. But uh, if it does, we'll we'll deal with it. We can uh, go on the fly. I think at the time that I was uh, cut off, I was talking about Uh, Just wrapping up forgiveness of oneself and talking about the thing that you would have to do to uh, achieve that. And where we left off was that we do an introspection and we conclude that all of the things that we did that we don't feel good about in regards to how we treated our family and, and friends and others, and, and if we've harmed anyone in any way, shape, or form, that if all of those things were done in pursuit of or under the influence of drugs and alcohol, then but if we weren't in that state, that we would not have done those things, then we can forgive ourselves, because we know that, you know what, if I wasn't doing that, I wouldn't have been acting that way. And so, and that's the first thing that must occur. I must forgive my be able to forgive myself before I can move on to the next step of forgiving others who may have harmed me now, this one is a biggie it's bigger than the third one, which is uh asking to be be forgiven for something you've done to somebody else the this one probably gets more blowback than any other, any other uh, of, the, of the three areas of forgiveness. And there's a reason for that. Because in forgiving others, something deep, deep is required of you in order for that to happen. And as I stated in my show description, at the end of the description, I gave a clue, and that clue was no free lunch. There's no free lunch. Well, what did I mean by that? Well, in order to forgive, just like forgiving yourself, and to forgive someone else, you something is required of you. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't just get gifted to you. You must do something, and just as forgiving yourself for things that you've done and, and so on and so forth might not be that difficult when you take your walk yourself through the process, but forgiving someone else—that's a different story. Human nature comes into play. Now, why why is it that it's so difficult? And simultaneous to that, so on one hand, we have the question of why is it so difficult? And on the other side of the fence, we have the statement, I want to forgive. There's freedom in forgiving. Why is it that we don't do it? What's stopping us from doing it? Give, doing, exercising true forgiveness. At the beginning of the show, we talked about faux f u x, faux forgiveness. Well, now we're talking about exercising true forgiveness. Well, what's stopping us from doing that? Well, what stops us is is what's re- is part of what's required. You would have to give up something in order to obtain it. There's no free lunch. Got to give something up. What do I got to give up? Well, when I'm doing the seminar and, and that question comes up, what do I have to give up? I usually respond first with, how bad do you want it? You say you want to forgive and experience what it's like to forgive because everyone talks about you read about i'm sure you've heard about that you know when you truly forgive you the person who's doing the forgiving get something in return that is tremendous fabulous fantastic it can't even be just you know put into just regular words you you are you are empowered you obtain freedom Then so why don't people do it Well, as I mentioned earlier, human nature comes into play. And so what we're fighting against is something that's almost instinctual in humans. And that is, well, you're saying I have to give something up. Yes. And that something is what? Well, that something is you got to give up control over that thing. What thing? That thing that you won't forget what that you want. To experience. So, someone did something wrong to you, someone harmed you, someone treat, mistreated you. Okay? And however that has impacted you, however that has made you feel, you continue to carry that around. It impacts your daily life, whether directly or indirectly, whether overtly or covertly. You defiantly say, uh, I'm never forgiving that person for what they did, for what they said. But at the same time, you want to experience what it's like. You want freedom. You don't like the way it makes you feel to, to hold on to that, to carry that. Well, give it up. Give what up? Give it up. Relinquish it. Let it go. Drop it. Throw it away. What are you talking about? Well, why are you holding on to it? I'm not holding on to it. Well, of course you're holding on to it. The question is, why are you holding on to it? That's the million dollar question, by the way. Why do people hold on to it? Why do people hold on to things that make them feel bad? Things that make you feel bad, they hold on to them with for dear life. They're hugging it, holding it tightly. Don't want to let it go. What are you getting out of that? Nothing. No, you must be getting something. I'm not getting anything out of it. Of course you are. I'm not. You are. So we go back and forth. And I say, if you're not getting anything out of it, then why are you holding it? Squeezing it, keeping it so tightly. Why won't you just let it go? I can't. Why not? We get there's an impasse right there. And I try and get the person to think at this moment at of the impasse. Think and at the same time dig down deep. What are you getting out of holding on to it? There's something you're getting out of it Why you don't want to drop it. Let it go. Throw it to the side so you can experience true forgiveness. Not faux forgiveness. True forgiveness. Because with true forgiveness, when you have really dropped it, when you have really let it go, Okay? You're free from it. You don't you haven't doesn't mean that you have you forget the experience, you, you don't forget something that has occurred in your life, you you have a memory bank. Okay? But you've let go the the negative feelings regarding it, the animosity. the antagonism, whatever it is, but they're negative, that you keep, and you now have to answer, why do you why do you keep them? Why am I keeping those? If on the other side of the fence, by just letting these go, I can experience some joy, some happiness, some freedom. That's what I want. Well, why don't you go get it? All you got to do is give this up. But I don't want to give that up. Look what that person did to me. I'm never going to forgive them. Then you're not going to get that on the other side of the fence. There's no free lunch. So then it comes down to which one do you want more? Do you want that joy, that freedom, that happiness on this side of the fence? Or do you want to continue to hold on to that negative experience, those negative feelings, and live your life through that? where it comes in and goes, comes in and goes, comes in and goes, and things remind you of it, and you respond and react, and it's just churning negative energy within you. When you can take a different route. So it always comes back to that question again. Why are you holding on to it? And I get the same answer. I'm not. See, there is, in holding on to it, by holding on to it, I get to control it. I get to keep it in my holster. I get to use it whenever I want to, whenever it might be convenient. I get to use it as a weapon, I get to use it as a crutch, as an excuse. In whatever shape, form, or fashion, I get to use it. But see, once you give it up, truly give it up, truly let it go, truly drop it, it's not there anymore for you to use in that negative fashion. It's not there. So now you have to choose. Do you want that? Or do you want the joy, the happiness, the freedom that comes with letting it go and giving it up? And giving up the utilization of that thing. That's what makes it so difficult. That's what makes exercising and experiencing true forgiveness so difficult. because we like to hold on to the things and for whatever reason hold tight to the the negative energy that comes with it so now once you are enlightened once once you're you know it's it's explained to you and you're educated and you're taught that, look, this is actually what's occurring. The process of you holding on to this experience and the manner in which you're doing it, this is how it's impacting you. And if you want to eliminate it from impacting you in this way and be able to get over that hump, get over that fence onto the other side, this is what you're going to have to do. And when someone understands that they're actually what they're doing is giving up control, you know, the first thing that comes into our mind split second is, well, damn, am I going to be vulnerable if I give this up? Am I going to be, you know, like open? No. You're going to be free. You're going to be free. And that's what we mean by there's no free lunch. Because you gave something, what you get in return, the freedom from that. Joy, happiness, those other the, the positive energy, the positive feelings. And that's the hardest thing to convince somebody of. And when you work them, you work them, you work them. And they finally say, okay, I'm going to take a leap of faith. Interesting, that last word, faith, because probably in no other arena than in the faith arena do they speak about forgiveness more. And when the Monsignor added this as a one of the unwritten philosophies that he, he wanted all the residents, all the clients, of the program to see when they come in the building he wasn't doing it from a religious perspective although that's probably where we hear it the most often that those who aspire to evolve have to learn how to forgive truly forgive well in the context of the the addict And in the context of recovery, he realized that forgiveness was integral to the person's well-being, their holistic well-being, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, etc. And clients had to learn how to exercise those three avenues of forgiveness. Forgiving ourselves, forgiving others, and being forgiven by others for things that we've done. So that middle one of forgiving someone else, if you can conquer that one, then the third one is a, is a cakewalk. It might not sound like it, but it is people have to get over the hump of that second one, forgiving other people for what they've done to you, what they've said to you. And it matters not. evidenced by what was in the news a week and a half, two weeks ago, maybe a little longer, the nine people that were killed in South Carolina in church, Bible study, And how every family member of one of the deceased, one of the first things they uttered out of their mouth was about forgiving the person who committed the crime, committed those murders. I don't know these people personally, but I would surmise, I can just surmise, because since I don't know them, I've never met them. Okay. But I would surmise that they ha they have been taught and have some understanding of the power of forgiving and the freedom that will it will give them to move on with their life without the negative energy of hate, the negative energy of resentment, the negative energy, all of the negative energy that can possibly come along with someone doing something like that to your loved one Now all we know is they've said it. We're not in somebody else's skin, so we can't say, you know, whether or not they mean it or not, but we take them at their at their word. We judge people by what they do. And so for the sake of this conversation, we will use that as an example of how they've made the conscious decision that they don't want to live on the other side of the fence with the negative energy. That doesn't mean that they have forgotten or that they will, of course, they won't forget what has transpired. But what they're saying as an individual is that I I need to get to, it's very important for me moving forward in my life that although I've been harm deeply by this. I need to exist on a higher level spiritually. I, this cannot dictate my life moving forward. It can't consume how I'm feeling in a negative way. That really does require some evolving to do that. And I don't think we spend enough time on it in 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 the recovery community in our groups, etc., on this particular topic. Because one of the things we do talk about is, you know, making sure people have a positive understanding, positive vibes, positive energy. We want to decrease, you know, the negative aspects of their past, okay, the negative impacts of their past. Well, when you want to decrease the negative impacts, okay, of your past, it's not just about no longer doing those things, okay, it's also about Feelings, energy, negative or positive, and what things what else do I need to do in order to get rid of negative feelings, get rid of negative energy, bring in positive vibes and positive energy, and people get stuck at this one they don't want to give it up. you know when you can control something, it's hard to give it up. It's hard to give it up when you can control something when you can and you know rare is the time when someone you know someone can point out to you when you're using something as a weapon and whipping it out and you know using it conveniently and so on and so forth or using it as a crutch. I have to say that there are many people who have had some bad things happen to them. Bad things happen to them throughout their experience of being in the life, things that happen to them out of no fault of their own, and things that happen to them out of some responsibility by, you know, my being in the life, you know, that this is, these things come your way because of, you know, being in those circles, so you have a little bit of responsibility. Some people have full responsibility because they brought it upon themselves with decisions they've made, et cetera. So it runs the, you know, the gamut. But in any, in any way you want to describe it, at some point, regardless of it, you have zero responsibility, a hundred percent responsibility. It still comes down to how am I going to live moving forward? Is this thing going to rule me and dictate an impact? how I live, moving forward from this moment on? Or am I going to put this behind me and move forward free of it and from it? It's certainly not impossible, it probably should have been the first thing I said, in case anyone wants to throw that in there as an excuse, which I've heard, it's impossible. It's not impossible. It's not an issue of possibility or impossibility. It's an issue of whether or not you're willing to do what's necessary to get to the other side. And in order to do that, in order to get there, something is required of you. And what's required of you is difficult for humans to do. When you get down to the root, 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 you know, it gets down deep into the soil. When you get really all the way down there, at the root of it is, do I want to give up the control over this thing and just throw it out to the universe? I don't own it anymore. I don't control it. Do it. Do with it what you may. I'm done. You know what? I don't care anymore. I'm done with it. You can have it. You want to be free? I'm free of it now. I'm dropping it. I'm letting it go and experience true forgiveness. You're now free to go about living and accomplishing without this thing hanging over you and and clouding you as you move forward. So that's forgiving others. The hard one. The third one is being forgiven. So you've done things that you don't feel good about. You've harmed other people. Whether it's seriously or lightly it's interesting that the the degree of with the degree of which you might have harmed someone else is not relevant to the it doesn't correspond to the difficulty of how hard or easy it is to obtain forgiveness And this has nothing to do with the other person. This has totally to do with me. Now we said no free lunch so if i if I have to forgive myself, I got to give something up in order to get it. If I have to forgive other people, I got to give something up in order to get it. If I want to be forgiven by other people, I got to give something up in order to get it. What do I have to give up in order to get your forgiveness? No, it's out something different. It's not the same thing for each one. And more often than not more often than not the things I call them things, that's not the right word, but I can't think of another word. That I must give up in order to be forgiven by another person. Ego pride arrogance you know those type of characteristics that prevent you from apologizing being sincere in your in your um in your apology and in your request for forgiveness, you actually have to verbalize that. You have to ask the person to be forgiven. Now, it's incumbent on the other person for themselves to give an answer. However, here's the key now, their answer, their answer is not important to whether or not you will accomplish the third item of being forgiven. Let me repeat that. Their answer is not important to the third item of you being forgiven. Why is it their answer not important? Well, it's almost it like goes in a circle. Because Here's the other person on the other side who has to forgive someone. That someone is you. And if they want true freedom and they want to be, you know, free of this negativity that's been, you know, beating them down, they have to forgive you. They have to give it up. Give up control over this this stuff that they've been holding on to. And here you are on the other end of the spectrum asking them to be forgiven. and one is not related to the other. So you can ask, you can be sincere, and you can do everything you're supposed to, you know, your ego, your pride is checked, the whole nine yards. You are humble in your request. And the person can say, I'm not forgiving you for Jack. Well, if, if it was dependent on the answer of the other person and 50% of the time the person said no, then what would we be left with as the person asking? So the reason I say it's not dependent on their answer is because what's important is whether or not you, the person asking, are in your heart and in your mind and in your soul and your spirit sincerely and from the most humblest position without ego and without pride asking to be forgiven and once those words leave your mouth backed up by those that those sensibilities that I just named okay you have done your part you have done your part and then you can go back around to number one and forgive yourself Remember I said it's like a circle so you're asking to be forgiven And the answer doesn't depend on what the other person says. It's whether or not you are coming correct with the request. So it's not a faux request. It's serious. It's with humility. It's without ego, without pride. You are sorry for what you've done, what you've said, whatever it may be. But you have no control over what the other person says. The other person is in their space where they have to make a decision on what side of the fence they want to live on. You have to just get to the point of doing the ask. And once you've accomplished the ask, you're either going to get an answer. You're going to get an answer or no answer. So the no answer is like a no, N-O answer. Or you'll get a, a yes, I forgive you. But remember, how you move forward is not dependent on either one. What's important is the position that you come from so that you can go back around to the front point of forgiving yourself, knowing that you've done everything in your power to, you know, request forgiveness for the acts you have done. So if they forgive you, it's wonderful. It's cherry on the cake, on the top. Icing on the cake, I should say. Cherry on the ice cream. But it is not dependent on it. Because if it was always dependent on the other person, you may never accomplish it. And that couldn't be. That couldn't be. So each one has required us to give up something. So, circling back around and the context of recovery this thing of forgiveness i think gets blown over not purposely but i think it's just because it is a how can i word this this is it is a emotionally time consuming task to get someone to a place of intellectual understanding of what needs to take place and then a emotional and mental space where they can exercise it. And it made and this is not something by the way, and if I'm giving this impression, I apologize, this is not something that can that happens overnight for every person. Because the circumstance of the act may require more time. So if you mistreated me in the way you've spoken to me versus you have physically abused me, well, they're not comparable in terms of acts. And so the impact that it has on me is not going to be comparable. And so the process that I have to go through to get to where I want to get to in terms of being able to forgive the person who has done this to me may take longer. And that's okay because I only care about one or two two things. Two things. No, I care about two things. That's what I should say. One is that at the very least, at the very least, the person has an intellectual understanding of how the process of true forgiveness works. And if they have that intellectual understanding, or once they get it, it's then incumbent upon them at whatever point they feel they are ready to then exercise it. That's the second side. And so at the very least, I have to make sure that you have the understanding before you leave. You then have to decide when you want to exercise it. This way, no one has any excuses. No one can say, well, I I don't know how to manifest that. I want to forgive, but I'm not sure how to go about it. It's our job to make sure that you do know. And then it's also our job to try and urge it along. Because we know that if you can get over to the other side of the fence, if you can just get over to the other side, that you'll get over there and you'll look back at the other side of the fence and say, man, why did I wait so long to do that? Look how wonderful I feel. I could have I could have received this eons ago, but I was fighting it. I refused to relinquish control. I had it wrapped so tight around me. I needed to I, I didn't want to be exposed or feel vulnerable. I thought I'd be open to attack. You know, these are the things that we think about. When, in fact, it's the exact opposite. You are empowered when you do it. You're the one with the power. There's a little bit of irony there. You get power by giving up control. Let me say that again. You get power by giving up control. So I don't get to, you know, bring that up anymore if I've truly resolved it and forgiven. I don't get to use it as a weapon anymore conveniently whenever I want if I've resolved it and forgiven. I don't get to use it as a crutch Anymore if I haven't exercised forgiving myself, if I haven't exercised asking for forgiveness to those to whom I may have harmed in my family, in my circle, so to speak. Because it is true, we know this as providers, we know that people don't don't often know how to work that process of of achieving and and forgiving. That's something to teach in school. And even in the faith arena, it's spoken about often in abstract terms. There's never a detailed explanation on how to actually do it, accomplish it, and get to the other side. It's just, you know, forgive. And too often, because of that, it ends up just being faux forgive. F-A-U-X. Faux forgive. Not real. Not true forgiveness. Because the next time I'm ready, I'll bring it right back up again. Well, that's not forgiveness. Okay. We are 10 past the hour I see. So I think I have covered this one sufficiently. And I apologize for our technical difficulties that interrupted us in the first Uh, re-upped and reconnected. Um, So I see the callers. Thank you for your patience, and thank you for those of you who hung in there while we... uh, ironed out the technical difficulties we're going to take a uh, brief music break come back and do some recovery support time and so sit tight and uh, we'll be back in a few minutes
3: Moach on Recovery is a program of OCG Radio. It deals with many topics related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment, and recovery. Our Recovery Support Time is a show segment where you can receive support from our host for any questions or issues you wish to present related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment, or recovery. You can reach our hosts live by calling 646-564-9909. That's 646-564-9909. Or you can send your questions via email at any time to ocgworkca at gmail.com. That's ocgworkca at gmail.com. And our host will respond to your questions on the air. Roach on Recovery. Recovery Support Time. A time for us to help you.
0: The sound of your own wheels drive you crazy. Light up while you still can. Don't even try to understand. Just find a place to make your stand. Take it easy.
2: Okay, welcome back to Roadshow Recovery. <clears throat> that was a nice break. Recovery support time. All right, let's go to the phones. We're short on time, but we got some calls. Hi, welcome to the show. Can we have your first name and your hometown, please?
4: Uh, Yes, my name is Chappelle. I'm from Redwood City.
2: Hi, how are you doing?
4: I'm fine. Um, I just called to ask um, what's the best way to stay clean and sober? When? for the rest of my life.
2: Well, that's a simple question and a complex question at the same time. When you say the best way. Yes. Because no one has written up a quote-unquote best way yet other than knowing that that part of my that that part of my life when I was an addict is no more and I'm committed to doing okay. something different committing to living a different way and how that manifests itself as long as it's positive and constructive is unique to the individual okay. Okay. so the most important thing is just the commitment that you've made that this I'm not living that life anymore, I'm living a different life. Okay. There's no magic pill. There's no uh you know, complex science to it, none of that. As a matter of fact, people have said over the years it's so simple it's hard.
4: So simple. It's hard. Yep. Can you can it's you get so into simple, a little more hard.
2: deeper than that? Excuse me.
4: Can you get a little more deeper than that?
2: Well, the the you know the reason why they've said that over the years, it's so simple, it's hard, is that all it comes down to when you really take it down to its 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 uh, bare bones is a person making a decision on what they want to do with their life. Okay, take take okay. For, take for example someone who's a heroin addict. Well, the first thing that must happen to the heroin addict must that they must get off of heroin. And there's a process of that happening because it's a physical addiction primarily. But once they lick the physical addiction and then they deal with the psychological aspects of, you know, why they use drugs and all of that stuff. Okay? They're home free. They're home free if they've made that commitment to not go back. They're home free. So that's what they mean by when they say it's so simple it's hard because obviously there are people who go back to using heroin. No matter how, how much they struggle to get off of it, they go back. Know what I mean? Yes,
4: I pretty much understand you. You just have to make a decision and then stick with that decision.
2: Yeah, you gotta you gotta arrive at a place, and it's the only way I can describe it, Chappelle, It's like a it's a spiritual thing where you know you have reached the point where that's whatever you've done in your past. Is now your past. It was just a part of your life, a, a, a time in your life, and you're doing something totally different moving forward. And it's something you know within yourself. It's you don't even have to scream it from the mountaintops. You just know. And it's like a. It's hard to describe. It's that's why I've always said over the years, it's like a spiritual thing that happens within you, and you know that that life is done. My new life of living drug free is beginning, and then you're just free to focus on whatever you got to accomplish, you know what I'm saying? Whatever you got to do to get back on track. You're free to just focus all your energies on that. You don't have to worry about, am I going to relapse? Am I going to use again? Because you've already solved that part. Correct, correct. Correct. Okay?
4: Yeah, you're right. You're right. I got it. It's so simple, but it's easy. I mean, it's so simple, but it's hard.
2: Correct? It's hard, yep.
4: Okay, thank you.
2: You're very welcome. I heard that uh, years ago when I was a resident, someone said that. So simple, it's hard. And they're right. It's hard to make that commitment. Why is it? There's no free lunch. Remember we talked about today, you got to give something up to get it. Not everybody's willing to give something up. Okay, let's go to our next call. Hi, welcome to the show. Can we have your first name in your hometown, please?
5: Yes, my name is John from Oakland.
2: Hi, John. Can you speak up a little louder, please?
5: Yes, yes my name is John from Oakland.
2: Hi, John. Great.
5: Yeah, uh, my question is... Uh, what do you suggest someone do that is in treatment with no outside support an example no immediate family?
2: Great question. Um have come across that numerous times uh you know in, in, in my time um, it's not it's as a counselor it's not a, a situation I like to see someone walk in and knowing that you know what there there is no family support out there for them. So the first thing and the thing I must focus on the most with this individual, Ie John, is I have to make sure that he gets built built to a point that he is self-reliant. That so knowing that he has no family out there and that everything that's going to be around him is going to be through his own reaching out, through his own involvement, through his own effort and work. So me knowing that, I have to make sure that John is prepared to do this on his own. And then any support group that he attaches to, any friends he's able to make in the recovery world, any people, he's positive people, he's able to build around him slowly as he moves through this process is just icing on the cake. That's how I would approach it. That's how I do approach it with people Excellent. in your situation.
5: Excellent.
0: So, and that's build a- the
2: mentality you should have. Sorry, I spoke over you. What, what were you saying?
5: Um, so, it's very important to build a support network.
2: That has to be a part of the plan. It's important to have a support network. But more important, John, you have to build yourself up to the point that you are reliant on yourself. So that your sobriety is not dependent on an exterior thing. You follow me?
5: Yes, I follow you.
2: So it is wonderful to have an external support network. It's wonderful to build a friend network of positive people. It's wonderful, and you should work towards those things. But more importantly, John has to make sure that he is self-reliant on his sobriety. This way, This way, if it takes time for you to build that network, it has no impact on whether or not you stay clean or not. Right. You're staying clean because you want to stay clean, and you're building your network because it's something that's important to you. You want to have people that are positive and constructive around you, supporting you. So you're just going to take time to build that. And while you're doing that, you're still walking your path. Okay. You follow me?
5: Um, yes, I do. I uh, okay thank you for your thank you for your answers, sir. Have a
2: good okay, day. you're very welcome. Bye bye. Where we used to see that more was when we had when we were providing services to adolescents, which we haven't done in a year and a half, but we did for twenty six years and yes, yeah, so kids would come in. They had no family. And so we became their family. Families of other kids became their families, but we had to, you know, build that kid up, that teenager up, and prepare them that look, you're going out there, to, and you're going to be by yourself. And so that's how we have to prepare. we have to prepare them for what their reality is, not what ideally we would hope for, for there to exist out there. The reality is there is no no family, so that's how we have to prepare. Okay. Hi, welcome to the show. Can we have your first name and your hometown, please? Hello? Hello. Hi, welcome to the yes. show. Can we have your first name and your hometown, please?
1: Michelle from East Palo Alto. Hi, Michelle. Hi. Um I just my question is um how to how to Deal with um, integrating a a marriage and male relationships in a program.
2: Break that down for me.
1: How to um, have a marriage and and make and integrate male relationships inside the program.
2: Okay, so you're married.
1: Yes.
2: And you want to be able to have responsible uh, friendships while I'm you're necessary. in a treatment while you're in a treatment program with males.
1: Yes, yes. How do you create those boundaries?
2: You have to create them.
0: Mm-hmm. You
2: get to determine what your boundaries are in terms of conversation. Mm-hmm. You know uh, the limits of you know subject content,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: what's a, what you deem is appropriate or not for us to talk about as a male and female just being friends, you get to determine the physical boundaries,
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know what I'm saying? Whether or not you are allowed to hug me, whether or not you are allowed to touch me, whether or not you just shake my hand, or, you, know, you get to determine what your boundaries are. And then here's the important part. Once you determine what your boundaries are, you then have to enforce them. Okay. That's the part that people always leave off. They design yeah. and
0: set their boundaries,
2: and then they don't enforce them. You have to enforce them so that the other parties know hey, these are the lines. I can't cross this line with this person. Correct. 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 And it's okay, perfectly yeah. acceptable. Yeah. It's perfectly acceptable for you as a married woman who's going through a treatment program to establish your boundaries that you feel comfortable with. Correct. You get to do that. I'm just trying to figure
1: out those boundaries.
2: That's okay. You can take whatever time you need, but it's your responsibility to define them and then enforce mm -hmm.
1: them. The execution is the hard part.
2: Well, you have to enforce them, although I just like having no boundaries. Because if you right. don't enforce, if you don't enforce them, what's going to happen is people are going to intrude upon you.
0: Mhm.
2: And you can't allow that to happen. You have to. No. And it's it's great practice for when you leave the treatment program, when you practice setting boundaries and then enforcing them. Okay. It not mm-hmm. only helps build your self confidence and your self esteem and the ability to do that and define what your terms are. Of this friendship and this relationship, it's great practice,
1: mhm, yes, yeah, so you got, I you see got to enforce it, okay, so creating the boundaries, and then
2: that's first step.
1: executing' them.
2: second step, most important okay. step, okay? okay, I want perfect. you to you so
1: uh-huh,
2: I want you to give us a call back and let us know how you're progressing with that I, next week oh,
1: yes, I will, okay, thank you so much.
2: You're very welcome. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. All the time, we teach boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. We have a boundaries group. People have to learn about boundaries, male and female, by the way. And the hardest part, as she stated, is not determining what the boundaries are going to be, defining what the boundaries are going to be, is enforcing them. Well, why is that the hardest part? We're always worried about what other people are going to think about us. We're always worried about whether we're going to be liked or not. We're always worried about whether we're going to be accepted or not. And we allow that to get in the way of respecting ourselves, respecting our boundaries, and enforcing them with other people. And when people do that, they realize that, you know, it's... That people aren't going to uh you know think negatively of you. They're gonna respect you. This person has boundaries and they're and they're enforcing them. You gain respect. Remember that old saying, it's better to be respect, respected than feared or liked. I think I made up the liked part. Alright, let's go back to the phones. Hi, welcome to the show. Can I have your first name please and your hometown Hello Hello Okay. We'll put that person back on hold cuz they're not obviously not ready. And we'll go Okay. Network errors once again, it looks like. Let's see. You seem to be doing good here. Do I have any error messages back there? No. I just lost two calls. So I'm not sure. If uh I just had another network error but both calls, two calls dropped off. So until I hear otherwise, I'm going to proceed. I'm gonna go into my X files because we've got a ton of stuff, ton of questions in the X files. Uh let's see. Yeah, I had a good question I wanted to start off with from Mike and Alameda. How does depression affect addiction, and how does one overcome it? Depression can have a significant effect, and I'm presuming what he means is not addiction per se, but recovering from addiction. Um, it, it can have a significant impact and if it goes untreated. So we have to make sure, Mike, that if you are suffering from depression, or, or if you're just asking this as an, an example question, but either way, the person who is suffering from a, a depression must ensure that the depression is treated, explored, looked into, um, et cetera, um, and not left to just sit out there because uh, left untreated as with any, other, any mental health condition, okay, whether mild or moderate, um, could result in someone going back to using as a means of dealing with dealing with the depression so we want to get we want to get help with it all right let's see if our phones are back up and we can actually take a call hi welcome to the show can we have your first name and your hometown please michael from san mateo i'm mike Hi. What is the worst drug you can come off of? Well, uh, we can argue about that for days and days, so this is just my own personal opinion. Um, I, I don't think it has been surpassed yet, but the worst uh, illegal drug um, is still, in my opinion, heroin.
0: Okay. uh.
2: Methamphetamine is coming you know it, it's coming da- coming around the quarter turn uh down the back stretch, trying to catch up, but I still give an edge to uh heroin okay is that it? Why did you ask I'm curious
5: uh I was asking because uh I have a a brother that's on heroin and
2: okay.
5: uh, he says he said it wasn't the hardest thing he had to come off of, but he he continues to shoot and smoke and uh, chase the dragon and all that stuff. Right. And he says he can quit anytime he wants to.
2: Well, that that statement will be tested when he decides that he's ready.
5: Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you.
2: Okay. All right. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye bye. Right. Bye. Okay. Let's go back to another call. Hi, welcome to the show. Can we have your first name, please, and your hometown?
5: Uh, my name is Dave from Fresno.
2: Hey, Dave, welcome.
5: Um, yeah, I was just wondering, is it necessary to do a twelve-step um, after recovery, or it would be just getting involved in church be good enough? um i was just wondering
2: about that No, it's to to literally answer your question no it's not necessary it's whatever is what you can get involved in anything that's positive and constructive and has people who are supportive of the lifestyle the positive lifestyle that you're now going to be living and whether that's through a 12-step support group, whether that's church, whether that's a sports league, whether that's, what you know, whether that's whatever. Okay? okay, there's nothing written in stone that says that that's what you have to do is go to a 12-step. Doesn't okay. mean that I wouldn't advise it, but it doesn't mean that that's all that's out there.
5: Right. Because I, I like going to them. It's just that, um, you know, every once in a while there's... It's good, it seems like if I go too much it's it just uh it's like too much of a reminder of of using
2: and and that's yeah. that's fine as yeah. a matter of fact i'm I'm glad you stated it that way because for some people that's real for some people' That, hey, yeah. you know what i I can go you know once a month a couple of times a month, and I'm good. I don't need yeah. to go seven days a week all right, thanks whatever works for you, you're welcome,
5: yeah, thank you.
2: All right. Bye bye. Okay. Let's get back to the X Files. Um, well, since the last question was on twelve step, let me start. Let me go to a twelve step. Omar from Glendale. Why is AA and NA called a spiritual program? Well, Omar, I'll give you a quick answer. Because of steps three, five, six, seven, and eleven. I think I think from if I remember from memory, those five steps uh, directly reference God, and so it's easy to see why uh, it is called a spiritual program. Some call it religious. Uh, to me, they're not one and the same. But they do reference God in the 12 steps. And so that's probably why it's uh, some people refer to it as a uh, spiritual means, spiritual program. Okay, next up. Uh, what they're saying. So, moving along. Hillary wants to know, how long should someone be in treatment? It depends. It depends on the individual. It depends on how long they've been using drugs or alcohol, how how long they, you know, some people have been incarcerated a long time and come directly from jail into a program. And, you know, I know in California they started programs inside jails and that really, I mean, it worked, it didn't work. Um, so, it's hard to, to judge whether or not there's some benefit. I believe that there is because even if post release they go into a program, they've had some exposure, so they kind of come in with a little bit of knowledge already, which is helpful. Um, but there's no set time, it's whatever you are assessed based on what your background is and, and your drug-using life. So I used to always say because more often than not I've dealt with people who've been in the life for 10, 15, 20, 25 years. So I'd always ask them this question. If you've been out there using for 20 years, is it too much to ask for you to dedicate 12 months to restoring your life and getting your life back on track? If you've been destroying your life for 20 years, is 12 months, one year, too much to ask. And for some people, it's too much to ask. I've never understood that. Never. It's like, wh- where are you in a rush to go? What are you in a rush to do? You spent the last 20 years using you don't deserve one year of, and and by the way, it's not even it, it's it's not even done in one year. One year is just the beginning of the process, but you're not worth that one year to begin that process and lay that foundation that you're going to utilize for the rest of your life to live a more positive and constructive life. And the you know the. Hardcore true answer is for some people it isn't. It it is too long. No, 90 days, that's all I want. 30 days, that's all I want. Not saying 30 or 90 days couldn't work, but statistically, statistically, the longer someone is exposed to the treatment environment, the better chance that you're going to have a positive outcome of sustained sobriety, and that's from empirical study, not just me, Roach, making it up. Okay, let's go back to the phones real quick. Hi, welcome to the show. Can I have your first name and your hometown, please?
5: James from San Carlos, California. Hi,
2: James. Hi, James. Hi. You're on the air. How can I help you?
5: Hi, James from San Carlos.
2: Go ahead, James.
5: Um, Yeah, I was just wondering if um, old persons, places, and things are um, harmful to recovering addicts and alcoholics.
2: Um, In theory, yes. More so for uh, alcoholics, definitely. But in theory, the answer to your question is yes.
5: Yeah, I was always told um, that relocating never worked for nobody or anything. So I just wondered about old people, places, and things in my area trying to get clean here, um, how that works out and how you um, maneuver around that.
2: Very easily. So if you you listen closely to my answer, I said, in theory, yes, is the answer to your question. But in reality, in reality... You're correct. People aren't going to move. Very few people are are able to move from where they live. And so you have to be able to deal with the environment in which you live. And so if you are committed to being clean and staying sober and living a positive, constructive life, it matters not where you live.
5: Definitely. Yeah, it makes sense. It's
2: all about you. Not about, what, you know, your your immediate environment. Yeah, Would it exactly. be ideal? Would it be ideal to be in a, an environment where you're not exposed to these triggers all day long? Of course. But that's not reality. I'd rather you be prepared for reality. Follow okay. me? Okay.
5: Yeah.
2: All yeah, right. I, Good stuff. I, I
5: definitely understand that. Thank you okay. very much. You're very Bye. welcome.
2: Bye-bye. Must be a delay because you must not have heard me. And I said, You're on the air. That's from The Honeymooners, by the way. You're on the air. All right, back to the X Files. Uh, how successful, Chris F. San Mateo, how successful can you be in recovery with a sponsor? Very. I mean, the more people you have, Offering support, providing support, holding you accountable—I mean, that's one of the roles of a sponsor. In um, in in the, in the true, um, you know, in the true mode of the twelve steps, you know, the sponsor plays the role of the person that you know you need to want to talk to. The sponsor is there when someone needs to hold you to account. The sponsor is there. So, how does that hurt? So it only it only adds to your you know your support network having a sponsor. That's not to say everyone needs one. I'm just saying those who choose to have one, and I'm full support of that. But let me add this: as I've said before, anyone who is in your corner and supporting you. can be a sponsor. There's no sponsor certification. There's no sponsor classes you have to go to. You're in my corner. You're supporting me. You're there for me, if in case I need you. You're functioning as a sponsor would function. Okay. Um. Here's a very interesting question from Jim. He puts his hometown... It's a place I've I've never heard of in California. It says North Fork. I've never heard of that. In any event, his question is very intriguing. It's the age-old question, the age-old dilemma. How does addiction cause people to repeatedly take drugs which they know will cause harm to themselves and others. That's the question of the ages for, for those of us who work in the field. Why do addicts do what they do over and over and over again, no regard, knowing even knowing what the consequence is going to be? It only goes to show how powerful addiction is. How powerful that that pull, that draw, that attraction to that high is or to that low. We always said, you know, it's like out there in the lexicon, in the language, you know, getting high, getting high. I used to say even way back, even when I was using, it's like, why do they always say everything is, you know, like any substance that you use, they call it getting high. I said, well, like some gonna Some of these are depressants. You're not getting high, you're getting low. But they still say you're getting high. Like alcohol, it's a depressant. You're not getting high, you're getting low. Heroin, it's not a stimulant. If you're using cocaine, yeah, you're getting high. It's a stimulant. Methamphetamine, it's a stimulant. You're getting high. But addiction is no joke. It makes people do things that they wouldn't ordinarily do. And if you are not, if you have no understanding and, and you know, there's millions of people who are in that boat. They don't have any understanding. They can't, they cannot wrap their head around it, okay? And more often than not, these millions of people are family members of people who are struggling with addiction, and they look at it and they just say, why can't you stop? Why do you keep doing this to yourself? Look what's happening. You're ending up in jail. You're ending up being arrested all the time. You're ending up losing your home. You're losing your car, losing your family, losing your kids. But you still continue to use. What does that tell you? That tells you addiction is no joke. It doesn't discriminate. Either. So, in terms of your question, Jim, because the way he phrased it, he said, "How does addiction cause people to do, you know, to do drugs?" And it's really not how. Because the how is people become addicted, whether it's psychologically or physically. So they become addicted, and then once they're addicted, they're they're fully immersed into the addictive addiction life and only an intervention, whether it be, well, the intervention can come from any direction, any source, but only an intervention, you know, steps in and upsets that and provides an opportunity for the person to do something different. And sometimes the intervention is jail. Sometimes it is prison. We hope that the intervention is not death. But that sometimes is the intervention. In a spiritual context, of course. So that's a great question, Jim. And But I don't think anyone has the the conceptual answer. We're still fighting it. Eric, Redwood City. Here's another good question. How can I have fun in recovery? I can't tell you how many people have, through my time, my experience, one of the major concerns, one of the major worries that they have as they go through treatment, And, you know, they're seeing the end of their life in the treatment setting and they're getting ready to go back out into society. And one of the things they're always worried about is, am I going to be able to enjoy myself, have fun, and and live life drug-free? Alcohol-free if I was an alcoholic. And that question can only be answered by... You know, usually if someone started using at a young age, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, so they, they didn't have any period of time in their adolescence where they were free from drugs, and they got clean as an as an adult in their thirties or forties, you know, they've never experienced anything drug free, so they have no frame of reference, so they have to start from scratch. What's it like to go to a ball game and not be drunk? What's it like to go to a museum and not be under the influence? What's it like to drive? without having something in your system, et cetera. And so people think about that. They worry about that. It, 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 you know, there's an initial part of when a person starts using, this, most people start with marijuana, and, you know, it seems to be fun and whatnot. And, but when you get into the addictive mode, you know, the fun is out the window. Now it's about surviving in that life. But people think about the fun they may have had either while they were using or prior to their lifestyle of using, and can I get that back? Well, yeah, you can get it back, and if you never had it, you can experience it. You can learn to experience things without drugs. And as my friend and peer Barnes, would say, it's a beautiful thing you can do it. Okay, folks, that wraps up our show for today. Don't forget our topic, forgiveness. I apologize once again for our technical difficulties. Let's hope they have it all fixed by next week's show. Let's hope that it's fixed. All right, thank you for the callers. Thanks for hanging in there. Thanks you for the listeners. And we'll see if our co-host is back. I don't know. We'll see. Until next time, Roach on Recovery will be back next Tuesday.
3: When a fight This evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash OCG WorkCA. And on Twitter at OCG Work CA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio.
0: Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at
2: chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family.
1: VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
2: If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up.